Our gospel reading and also the text for our sermon today comes from Matthew chapter 22 starting at verse 1. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, And my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops, and destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came, in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. On Saturday nights, I have an alarm that goes off on my phone. I I set this uh, alarm on my calendar, and it reminds me to get ready for church, right? (laughs) Uh, At at about 5 o'clock on Saturday evenings, I'm reminded, oh, this is the time. Time to maybe do a little grooming and shaving. Time to uh, lay out my clothes for the next if you If you know me, uh, you, if you've seen me at City Market or at Target, uh, you probably haven't seen me typically wearing a coat and dress slacks and a button-down shirt. I, my, my normal attire tends to be more um, a ball cap or... If we're in ski season, just wear snow pants all the time because I could go skiing uh, in like 10 minutes, right? So, so got to be ready. So uh, th- that's, that's how I normally, but this is a little different. Sunday mornings, coming into church, getting ready, getting ready to preach. Uh, I lay out my clothes and I come dressed. Now, what is it? mean 
to come just as I am because as I think about everything that I do to get ready for church, it's not just as I am. I do things like brush my teeth and comb my hair and wear my, lay out my clothes. How many people here uh, do these sorts of things for church? Yeah, see a few hands, right? How, anyone here today just roll out of bed and come just as I am? Okay. Well, that's my son Isaac, right? So there's, there's one, right? So, good. Um, now, in Summit County, our standards are a little different, right? People oftentimes uh, come, or, or, or come to church with the expectation that right after the service, they're going hiking or biking or skiing. So sometimes you'll see people wear their snow gear or their hiking gear to church, and it's, it's fairly acceptable. It's normal here, but maybe that's not the, play, the way it is everywhere. If you're from the Midwest or from the South, maybe the expectation is that you wear, what do you call it, your Sunday's best to, to church, right? Heard one story. How about uh, a pastor who uh, was taking offering? We don't pass the plate here and take offerings, but some, a lot of congregations, Lutheran congregations do. And, and then after collecting the, the offering, um, the ushers were coming forward, and one, one gentleman was in a three-piece suit, tie, looking snazzy, right? And the other was in his Sunday's best, but he was wearing cowboy boots and dark blue jeans that were, were pressed, right? And, and a, a plaid shirt with, uh, what, what, uh, what's the cowboy tie? But, yeah, right, yeah, right, around. And so a Sunday's best can look a little bit different for different people from different cultures, different walks of life. At church, sometimes we have to think about what it means to come just as I am. As you're driving through town, maybe you'll see uh, signs in front of some churches that say, all are welcome in rainbow-colored letters, sending a different message. But it seems to be in line with just as I am. So, so, so what, does, what does this even mean? How, how do we as Christians understand coming just as I am? Should this hymn be removed from our hymnal? Let's find out. When we take a look at our text for today, and we take a, take a look at the parable that Jesus tells, there's parts of it that we're like, yeah, right, that's easy, great. A wedding feast? All are invited? The king sends out his servants? Hey, tell everyone, Good and bad. Everyone, come on in. Come on into the wedding feast. And, and, and we, we like this. And this is somewhat consistent with even our, our Old Testament reading from Isaiah chapter 25. What does Isaiah chapter 25 say? Uh, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples 
a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. It goes on, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people. He talks about the veil spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. We like that. It's kind of a cool picture. On the one hand, God's accepting of all people, all nations. It's a corporate acceptance, and yet it's very personal. He comes to us, and he wipes away our individual tears. Love that. However, as we take a closer look at the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 22, there's some parts that make us swallow a little bit harder. Yes, it is a wedding feast. Yes, all are invited. Abundant invitations are sent out. But there's some people who don't come. Some people who are just too busy. <laughs> Paid no attention. In a shame and honor culture, such as the Middle East, such as Israel, this was quite the slap in the face to the king. I'm too busy for your feast. It's probably not that good. Anyways, yeah, I know. I mean, look at the preparations at the king. Everything is ready. My dinner, my oxen, my fat calves, slaughtered. Everything's ready. Come, come. He's doing everything he can. And yet people say, eh, I need to spend some time in my fields at the farm. I need to tend to my business. Whew. And then he sends up more servants and more servants. They're rejected. Some servants are killed. The king is not happy. You've dishonored me. You've shamed me. You've shamed my family. You don't come to my wedding feast. And he goes like Quentin Tarantino on this, right? Like, he goes hardcore, sends out his armies, and he said, okay, don't come. I'm going to kill you. What? <laughs> That's harsh. Then when the wedding feast starts, everyone who is there has come, is gathered together, getting ready to eat the meal. And the king's walking around, and he sees someone. Someone who clearly doesn't belong. A wedding crasher, which is crazy to think about, like when you think of the fact that all are invited, and yet... This person, why did he stick out? He wasn't wearing a wedding garment. He's not in the right clothes. And so the king goes up to him and says, friend, and we need to understand uh, that word friend, it's, it's not an endearing term. It's kind of like going up to someone saying, hey, buddy, what are you doing here? And he calls him out. And what, what does the man say 
when the king calls him out in front of everyone? He was speechless. Good job. I love it. This is totally a tangent. I love it when kids literally pop out of the pews and they're like, kids aren't paying attention. No, they're, everyone's listening, right? So good stuff. He was speechless. But we need to understand this speechlessness. He's not so ashamed. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be here. No, that's not the, the flow of the parable at all. This man was speechless, but it was like he was socializing with a group of people. The king came up, said, hey, buddy, what are you doing here? He looks back. He's like, Psh. doesn't even say anything. Can you believe this guy? You, know, you can almost see him gesturing to his, to his friends. And what does the king do? Has him thrown out. <laughs> Has him thrown out. This arrogant man who came into the wedding was thrown, thrown out. And, and so, huh, maybe, maybe not just as I am. Maybe we, we don't come just, is that good enough? Maybe, apparently not. I don't, I don't know. And who does, or where does this man get thrown? Not just out in the streets, but into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is, this is language for hell, right? Five times, at least in Matthew, Jesus uses this language, weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. And we need a little bit of context to understand gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth isn't uh, a sign of, of pain, necessarily. When we look at the Old Testament and we see people gnash our teeth, or when we look at maybe Acts chapter, is it 6, where um, Stephen is stoned, and the Pharisees who are stoning him, they're gnashing their teeth you know, chomp, you know, mad, angry. That's, that's kind of what it means. And so it's this idea. It's not a, a, a pain necessarily, although that could certainly be true of hell, but it's an, a, 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 a sign of anger. See, even when this man is thrown out of the party, he's still angry at, at God. And the saying that I've heard is this, that hell is a prison locked from the inside. That, that we who, are, who, who uh, rebel against God, those who rebel against God, are saying, my will be done. And God says, okay, out you go. So, <laughs> is, is just as I am good enough? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we need to refine that. So, maybe the answer is, is just a simple no. No, just as I am, it's, it's not good enough. Um, 
in support uh, of this answer, uh, we can clearly see from this parable that Jesus teaches that, that God clearly does judge. He does have standards. Maybe just as I am isn't really good enough. Maybe we have to be holy because God is holy. That can seem to be what the parable is saying. And all those other verses about God's universal love that we mentioned a moment ago, well, maybe they... They're still true, but God loves everyone as long as they're holy enough. Maybe that's the case. People talk about um, how loving and, and accepting Jesus is, but has anyone here ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says this, You have heard it said, You shall not murder, But I'd say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. And whoever says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Those don't sound like loving or accepting words. Or Jesus also says this, says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery and If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. (laughs) To sum up the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God is perfect. God is holy. He demands holiness. So is just as I am really good enough? Maybe the answer is a simple no. We have to be holy because God is holy. Hopefully you know a simple no isn't enough of an answer here either. (laughs) If holiness is a requirement for hanging out with God, being in his presence, dining with him, I'm in trouble. Here's my wife. Here are my children. They can tell you the times that I failed as husband, as father. There's our elders. They can tell you the times I've failed as pastor of this church. Times that I've been tired and grumpy (laughs) and maybe not uh, cheerful or kind or loving if just as I am requires me to be holy, comes with a condition, I'm in trouble. And we have to remember that this Jesus is the same Jesus who went to dinner parties with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors and call them friends. This is the Jesus who says this. He's not the healthy people who need a doctor, but the sick. I did not come 
for the righteous and holy. I came for the unrighteous. I came for the sinners. So where does that leave us? Is just as I am really good enough? Well, neither a simple yes or a simple no is going to is going to cut it. God is love, but he does not tolerate sin. And while God is holy, he hangs out with and loves the unholy. To help us understand this, we need to remember who Jesus was specifically, directly talking to at this moment. It wasn't the crowds of people that were like sheep without a shepherd. It wasn't his, his disciples, those who had given up everything to, to follow him. Specifically, he's talking to the chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders of that day. He's talking to them in the temple, on their turf. This is Holy Week that he's talking to them. Just a couple days before they kill him. He sees the writing on the wall and he speaks some harsh words to them that we overhear today. But for us, those who are followers of Jesus, a nuanced answer to the question, is just as I am good enough? A nuanced answer, a nuanced yes and no needs to be taken. Let me read the, the first stanza of the hymn that we just sang. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me to come, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. What's the first line? Just as I am without one plea. What's a plea? An excuse, right? I'm not guilty. I'm innocent. No. no. We as Christians, we don't offer a plea. If we say anything, what, what do we offer? A confession. We did that earlier in our service today. We confess that we are sinners that we fall short of God's great commandment to love God and to love one another. We come humbly acknowledging that just as I am, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not worthy enough. I do not have a single leg to stand on. I do not have a single plea. But the stanza goes on, the hymn goes on. But that the blood, that thy blood, the blood of Jesus, was shed for me even though I'm not in and of myself good enough to come to God, 
Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to us. My unholiness deserves death, but instead of me paying the penalty, Jesus pays the penalty in my place. His blood was shed for me. His blood was shed for you. I was not able to come to God, and so he came to me. And so we say this, is, is just as I am good enough? No, not, not by myself, but yes, in Christ. Jesus has invited us to come with him to the Father, to the feast. And Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness so that we're dressed appropriately for the wedding banquet. Come just as I am. Jesus changes who we are. And here's the other thing. We come just as we are, but Jesus doesn't leave us that way. We come broken. We come sick. We come sinners. And what does Jesus do? He binds us up. He heals us. He forgives us and gives us his life. Can, can you imagine if Jesus went to the blind in his ministry or the lame in his ministry and they were begging, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus just left them blind. He doesn't do that, friends. He works in our heart. He sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that by his power, by his grace, we can be changed in part today and in totality at Jesus' second coming. Friends, you've been invited to the feast. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will make all things new. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Thanks be to God. Amen.